Net-A-Porter presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 4, The Disruptors. Hello, I believe you're joining us from Nashville. How is it going over there? Yeah, it's going well. It's pretty rainy, um, but I'm excited to be here. Welcome to the new series of The Incredible Women Podcast. In this season, we talk intimately with the women challenging the status quo and campaigning for positive change. From rebels and mavericks to modern leaders, these are the inspiring women of today and tomorrow. I'm Alice Casely Hayford, and I'm delighted to be joined by singer-songwriter Arlo Parks for this episode of our Disruptors podcast. In 2018, Parks started uploading her music to SoundCloud. Her uniquely intimate sound combines brooding lyrics with poetic interludes, and she swiftly became one of the most exciting emerging talents on London's DIY scene. At just 18, Park signed a record deal and released her debut album, Collapse in Sunbeams, to critical acclaim last year. Her wide-ranging subject matter delves into identity, friendship and loneliness, so it's no wonder Arlo Parks has captivated audiences in a world locked indoors and looking inwards for the past two years. Currently, she's on an American tour, so we're thrilled that she's made time for us in her busy schedule. Let's meet Arlo Parks. So I guess to dive straight in, um, this is, of course, the Disruptors podcast. What does disruption mean to you? And do you see yourself as a disruptor or does that feel quite alien? I think that disruption can be a range of things. I think it can be seeing something that you feel should be changed and making an active decision to be the change that you want to see. Um, I think that you can be disruptive by just being, by loving, by really standing for something. Um, I think that it is something that can be done on small and larger scales. Um, And I do think artistically, I am a disruptor simply because of the way that I cling so fiercely to the idea of of vulnerability and of Mm -hmm. transparency. Um, I think that's something that I'm not the first to do, but I think doing it in my particular way through the lens of my identity um, makes it quite disruptive. Yeah, I think I would relate to that to that word. Well, obviously, we couldn't agree more. But, um, I think speaking to that vulnerability and transparency, of course, with Collapsed in Sunbeams, your debut album, you took all of your journals and your folder of poems and you used that as a starting point for, for a lot of your work. Can you tell us a bit more about that process and kind of whether it was a cathartic experience for you? Yeah, so I essentially just took all the journals and notebooks that I've been scribbling in since I was about 13 um, and I brought them all to the Airbnb where I was creating the record. And it was definitely very cathartic. You know, it's it's always so interesting to read back through, you know, 15-year-old you's brain and think about, you know, the heartbreaks that seem like the Mm -hmm. end of the world and something you would never recover from ever. Um, Or, you know, the massive dreams that you had that felt so far away that you're now living. Um, it was definitely really cathartic to kind of work through my own coming of age and also journal as I wrote the album and kind of track the process, the creative thread and um, just learn as I went along. I, I get a lot of com- comfort, I think, out of documenting things for sure. And evidently a lot of your fans, myself included, get a lot of comfort from your lyrics as well. And I think, you know, you speak very openly about identity and well-being and loneliness and all of these things that um, mean so much to the individual. And I think particularly during the pandemic, they really struck a chord. 
um, and it's created a very kind of empathetic connection with your audience. But mm. there must be a lot of pressures attached to that, uh, particularly in terms of that transparency and giving up so much of yourself. How how do you navigate and strike that right balance? I guess for me, it's it's very much a feeling. Like I feel when I feel kind of very sensitive and soft and like I'm kind of being overwhelmed or maybe somebody is overstepping, then I kind of politely remove myself Mm. from that situation simply because I feel like, you know, as human beings, we have finite kind of reserves of energy Mm. and and emotion. Um, And especially coming out of the pandemic and that existence being very insular and very much being kind of me and my little brother and my parents, Mm -hmm. going out into the world and being asked, you know, a lot of questions or for advice by people I didn't necessarily know. Um, was a little bit difficult. But at the same time, the fact that my music has rung true in that profound way for people of all sorts of kind of backgrounds and situations was really heartwarming. So I think it's just about setting boundaries within myself. And when it doesn't feel good, then just, you know, stepping away. Well, that's brilliant advice. Very sage words indeed. Going back to the pandemic, you just mentioned that you spent a lot of time with your family. Um, But what were your kind of greatest takeaways from that challenging period? And where did you find optimism um, and strength? What I learned about myself was definitely just ideas around productivity and, and the fact that I very much have an urge when I do have time to fill it and to feel like I'm doing something with it, uh, something productive. But I guess learning that rest is also part of the work and that working in the right ways and the right directions is important. Um, and I think it also kind of slowed me down a little bit. Mm. You know, on our kind of daily walks, I would actually look at flowers or look at the sky and be kind of attentive to small details, which is something that I kind of want to continue carrying on into the way I see the world now. Um, and I got a lot of courage and joy from from books, um, mm. from films, from painting and cooking and just being still. I think mm-hmm. I realised that I'm a very restless human being um, and that there's actually a lot of kind of power uh, and reflection to be found in stillness. So I couldn't agree more because I think initially at the start of the pandemic, I was like, right, this is when I'm going to write my first screenplay and maybe my mm. debut novel. Um, yep. And then <laughs> about six weeks in, I actually recognised that I kind of swung the complete opposite way and it was more about that stillness, as you said, and reevaluating the kind of priorities in my life and actually stripping mm. out a lot of the excess that kind of wasn't necessary. And that reset was really important and you just mm. articulated that beautifully. To go back to your storytelling and more specifically your lyricism, um, a lot of journalists perhaps lazily refer to you as this kind of voice of a generation. And how do you feel like that sort of very heavy, lazy label or is it something that you um, feel is truly representative of you? I don't think it necessarily bothers me. I just don't think that anyone can be a voice for, you know, millions of people mm. living a million different lives. So I feel like it's it's reductive. You know, I definitely see the fact that I'm speaking to experiences that are perhaps shared by people around my age group. Mm. Um, and that makes me happy. Um, but I don't think that I'm speaking for anybody. Like, I don't think there is a universal experience. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that simple. Yeah. Agreed. But I think certainly listening to your music and even having spoken to you, you sound a lot older than your years. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to hear about how you fuse poetry and music. 
I guess the raw material for poetry and music to me are the same. Like I will just write for an hour, maybe just uninterrupted and just pull, pull phrases and words that I feel, you know, speak to me in some way. And that can turn into a poem or it can turn into songs. Mm. Before I very much used to kind of craft poems and that would provide the building blocks for music. Um, but I think now I kind of build both off of stream of consciousnesses. Um, but for me, poetry is, the line between poetry and songwriting is so thin. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's about, you know, conveying an, an idea in a form that's quite concise, far more concise than, you know, a, a book or a long form essay. Um, so I guess they, they very much overlap. Um, but poetry came first for me in terms of, you know, my writing journey. I know that Sylvia Plath and her work has, has been hugely influential on you and she's, of course, a true disruptor. Who who else has been a huge influence or have there been any other mentors that you've had throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of influences, um, I mean, it's it's so broad. I would say everyone from, like, Audre Lorde to artists like Joni Mitchell, um, James Baldwin. I feel like, honestly, I just... I, I feel very tied to artists of all different genres and, and forms, but people with very distinct voices that are mm -hmm. unafraid to speak about difficult things or things that are just important to them in a way that's very unflinching. Um, and when it comes to people, I guess, within my own circles, you know, I was speaking to Maggie Rogers a lot and she really kind of I guess she introduced me to, she's the person who introduced me to that idea of, you know, living a beautiful life and mm. and kind of setting boundaries um, and, and kind of reminding yourself of the playfulness and the joy in creativity um, and, and the fact that, you know, the priority over all else should be that you feel good and grounded and not burnt out and that you're mm -hmm. taking breaks. And she's a very kind of sage person in my life, I think, yeah. yeah. Well, I think actually I wanted to mention um, that notion of living a beautiful life. And you shared that uh, on social media a little while ago about living in a way that allows for as much wholeness and joy as is physically possible. Um, and I think that's a really interesting sentiment to share. But in the midst of a tour, when you're traveling the world, you've got such a hectic schedule. When you're away from home comforts, your friends, your family, how are you able to apply that? Um, and how does it fit in with your, with your uh, new way of life? I'm very aware of the small things that I can do for myself to make myself happy that I can do in any place. Um, you know, I've got like a little book club with my partner. I'll just read like 15 pages of a book or go for a walk and find a green space and just sit down and call someone or going for runs and exercising and getting enough sleep and just like taking a second to visit a gallery or a museum or a weird little bookshop that I found online in every city, you know. I think engaging with my surroundings mm -hmm. as they change allows me to feel less like I'm just being catapulted around with no control. Um, I think just finding something that I would really like to do and sometimes doing it by myself as well um, allows me a little pocket of peace in the day. Leading on from that, um, of course, Collapsing Sunbeams won the Mercury Prize last year, which is an incredible achievement. And you're nominated for Best New Artist at this year's Grammys, which is coming up shortly. How do you begin to process such huge success at a relatively young age? How do you balance all of these major accolades? And I know obviously you've just spoken to trying to, you know, go to art galleries and practice your book club and all of these things. But 
how do you remain grounded aside from that? I don't know. I think for me, at the at the core of why I started doing all of this is because I love making music and, and that's something that I can constantly kind of practice and evolve. And I try my best to, you know, in the aftermath of, of these wonderful kind of prizes and this recognition, I guess I just throw myself into the work. I'm like, okay, I got here by being completely myself and also by, you know, using having creativity as a routine as a practice that I actively put time into every day day in and day out and so I think throwing myself into the work makes me feel like I'm staying balanced but also spending time with people who do things completely outside of music um either other creative things or maybe not creative in a traditional sense at all um so I guess trying to maintain a sense of balance but it is very hard to process I still don't think I have fully processed anything. How do yeah. your your friends from from school or from before this new huge success, how do they kind of take it all in? I think they're still processing it as well because they heard, you know, some very ropey demos uh, <laughs> when I was <laughs> when I was a teenager and um came to some of those, you know, very early gigs in pubs and basements and I guess, you know, it's something that I've always done I always kind of plugged away at it um so I think they're really happy for me but also you know a bit in shock as as we all are I think naturally but I did want to talk to you about style um and how your kind of visual identity uh has evolved since you first started out because obviously kind of being in the public eye means that the way that you present yourself might change slightly um Mm. can you tell us a little bit about that development definitely um I've definitely found my my style to evolve very organically. I think I I started kind of ex- exploring fashion as something that I could pull a lot of, of strength from and feel very powerful in. Um, and, you know, whether that was, you know, delving into, I guess, more traditional femininity with pieces from people like Simone Rocha um, or, you know, going to the kind of more technical kind of nylon side of Prada and doing a lot more kind of delving for vintage pieces by myself, traveling around the world and and finding jewelry, finding scarves. I, I got very into boots, which was something that I hadn't really got into before. Um, a lot of like Margiela and Martine Rose, but also, you know, supporting independent designers like Bianca Saunders or Cold War. Um, I, I think also being friends with, somebody who makes jewellery, Blue Burnham, and talking to him about fashion and jewellery as something that you can pull physical strength from. You know, you look down at your hands or your wrist and you've got a bracelet that a friend gave you or you've got this ring that that makes you feel very kind of adorned and and beautiful and strong. I I think I realised the power of fashion to transform the way that you see yourself um, and threw myself into kind of pushing the boundaries of that, which has been... It's been a lot of fun. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. You've really delved into it, which sounds fantastic. And we can't wait to see how it continues to evolve. Yeah, definitely. To go back to before you signed a deal, obviously that happened with Transgressive Records right before your final exams when you were just 18. Yeah. So how did you juggle kind of this burgeoning career with school life? And and now that you, you're kind of on the other side, how do you f- reflect now on getting that break at kind of such a pivotal formative period in your life? It was definitely very difficult to manage it because I was playing gigs and I was having to, you know, do my homework mm. um, and do my and I was studying for my A-levels and that's kind of like 
I guess, the crux of your school experience. Mm. So it was definitely very intense. But I think, interestingly, it, it really allowed me to think about what was important. Like the fact that I was I was willing to throw myself into music, even when it would maybe have been easier to wait a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It was, there was just this urgency, I guess, to it. Um, and I also signed to, a, you know, an independent family, which which afforded me a lot more kind of creative freedom, I guess. And I could do things at my own pace. And I knew that if I did need to take time off or, you know, do my exams, whatever, then they would be completely supportive of that. Um, but I guess it also made me realise that it's difficult to do two things at once yeah. very well. Um, and, and you find yourself being spread a little bit thinly and I guess I've taken that experience now into you know me wanting to enter into other creative um circles or or you know do other things whether that be writing or acting um I kind of want to make sure that I dedicate proper time to each thing and so now music is very much my focus and then maybe in time I'll I'll move on to something else um but always dipping back to music I think it just reminded me of the fact that the way my brain works, I just need like one focus because if I've got more than one, then <laughs> it all gets a bit hairy. <laughs> but that's interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about perhaps delving into acting? I've always really loved film. Um, that's definitely one of my kind of biggest passions aside from music. Um, and I used to write plays and stuff when I was a kid. I've always been fascinated by like cinematography mm-hmm. and photography and just the visual um, aspect of film as well. Like that's very much the way that I that I write my uh, songs. It's a very visual visual kind of mm. experience. So I'm just dipping into it and you know seeing how it goes. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we well we keep our eye out for that. But um, mm-hmm. how do you keep control of your career? Because obviously, um, the music industry quite notoriously puts a lot of pressure on young women. But how do you maintain that control for yourself? I'm fortunate enough to have people around me who are very respectful of me and my creativity and me as a human being you know uh, with Arlo Parks aside like Mm -hmm. me just as a person Mm -hmm. as a sensitive person who who has certain needs and feelings and you know I, I my vision is always put at the forefront of things which is really really important to me to have you know a web of support where there is critique and and contribution from people on my team but at the end of the day it's down to me and how I feel um and I think it's also about you know finding community mm-hmm. and being able to discuss things with other people in the industry other women and kind of I guess find strength from each other and, and share experiences and I think feeling less alone because this industry is definitely very very difficult to navigate I think especially as a woman mm. um but there is also a lot of kind of beauty in it and beauty in, in community and in coming together and, and and leaning on each other. So, yeah, I guess community and, and having built a team around me that's very kind um, and sensitive to my needs. And I guess in terms of that community, um, your your career began by you sharing your music online and gaining quite a following that way. Um, And I guess that was perhaps in an age or just after an age of really manufactured music. How did it feel to disrupt that process? I don't know. I I guess I never really, because it was happening to me and because my career was 
growing just as me. I guess I never thought about it in the wider context. But I think being recognized for just doing something that was very much what I wanted to do, you know, mixing like 90s indie music um, with like crunchy hip hop drums mm -hmm. and singing in the way that I do and writing about the things I I do, I guess I was just completely myself. And then to be welcomed with such open arms, both by the press and by fans and just generally by my peers as well, um, just felt really amazing that I didn't have to change myself in any way. I could just be. But of course, you're currently on tour and that will be culminating with Coachella and then you've got an incredible support slot with Harry Styles. Um, can you tell us a bit about the next few months ahead and what, what that means to you? Yeah, so I'm currently on tour with Claro uh, in the States and that's going to end with Coachella and there's the Grammys in there as well, which I'm really excited about in Vegas. Um, and then it's just going to be a lot of festivals. I'm kind of working on new material at the same time, so taking little kind of pockets of breaks uh, just to, to write it mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and to be in the studio, which has been really amazing for me it's where I've been kind of these past few months just very much hold up and kind of delving into whatever comes next um so yeah honestly it's it's very much touring and writing music and that's where I'm happiest hopefully a couple more collaborations um working on poetry still because the poetry book is something that I still really want to do mm -hmm. um and evolving kind of my personal styling and maybe the idea of you know, starting a brand one day. So I'm wow. mood boarding that at the moment. So there's a lot of different bits and bobs, just keeping myself, keeping myself busy as yeah. always. You spoke just then about collaboration. Um, are there any particular artists within the music industry that you'd love to collaborate? And then you also mentioned a brand. Are there other creatives beyond your immediate area that you'd love to work with? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, when it comes to collaborations, I'd love to do something with Frank Ocean. I think that will be amazing. Um, oh, who else? There's always such a long list in my head and it disappears. I'd love to do something with, with um, Solange. I think that would be really amazing. Yeah, I'd love to do something with someone like very outside of my world, like Bjork or something. I think that would be really cool. Whether it's like a visual collaboration maybe or something. Um, and when it comes to other creatives, I'd love to work with Greta Gerwig in some way. I think that would be really amazing. Um, also, that French director, Celine Siama, who did, like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I guess, you know, for me, I'm just very much open. Like, that's why I've got, like, I'm starting this uh, radio show, Six Music, and inviting people on. And that's why I'm inviting, like, people who make jewellery or photographers or, you know, musicians, actors. I, I think that there's definitely a lot of beauty and a lot of strength to... Um, and also there's a lot of connectivity I think between all the different disciplines so I'm just kind of happy to to meet whoever and talk about whatever as long as there's passion there yeah well it sounds like you have an incredibly long to-do list I was about to ask you earlier on um what do you hope to do in 2022 but it sounds like a bloody hell of a lot um but <laughs> <laughs> you've really been shaking up the music industry of course but um the pandemic did put a pause to your quite early career um, and we had a couple mm -hmm. of years out. How would you like to see the music industry evolve and continue to diversify over the next 10 years and throughout the rest of your career? When it comes to the actual music, I think the fact that genres and the idea of that are kind of 
dissolving is really comforting to me and makes me happy. Um, I think I would like to see people increasingly being able to just make music and, and have less kind of boxes or boundaries or pigeonholes kind of put around that music. Um, I think I'd definitely like to see more support in general for artists in terms of mental health, in terms mm. of, you know, how to weather being perceived on such a wide scale, mm. being in the public eye or mm. even, you know, touring and being uprooted and how to deal with, you know, creating a beautiful life for yourself, even when the work that you've chosen is very kind of consuming, I mm. guess, you know, it's it's something that doesn't really switch off, it's 24-7. So I think more support for artists in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I, I, I would really like for there to be more kind of in the way of like mentoring in terms of, you know, people who have been through the music industry and maybe have, you know, a couple of decades under their belt, mm-hmm. speaking to younger ones and being like, yeah. oh, okay, this is what helped me. Because when I was speaking to um, some of the members of Radiohead, I was speaking to them about touring and I was like, wow, they started touring before I was even alive. (laughs) Um, And how kind of, obviously times do change in the way that Mm. one tours is slightly different. But I think having some way of connecting um, the the newer generation and the older ones and and to kind of pull knowledge and learn from each other would would be really interesting to me. What would your advice be then to someone who's in their room right now uploading their music to SoundCloud, hoping for their big break? The the best advice that I could give is definitely patience. You know, things do not happen overnight, no matter how they may seem on Instagram or YouTube or, you know, with, with virality these days. Mm-hmm. Um, it can seem like it just happens in an instant, but it definitely doesn't. Um, I think, so patience... I guess know, knowing that it does happen, like I'm an example of that. Mm-hmm. Dreams do come true. I was in the exact same position <laughs> as you and and here I am. So it is possible, but it is not easy. Um, and I think being willing to put in hard work consistently over a long period of time and also just making sure it stays fun. You know, I think making sure that it still feels playful um, and that you're constantly kind of learning and doing something that feels completely good to you. To go back to this idea of disruption, who are your disruptors? Who are the people whose work now, uh, perhaps some kind of emerging artists whose trailblazing work is inspiring you currently? A big one for me is this poet called Ocean Vuong. Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of speaks very openly um, to his kind of heritage, as a Vietnamese American um, and his queerness. And he just is so kind of, has this really deep well of kind of compassion um, and love in the way that he approaches his poetry. Um, And he's like won a million prizes and like the T.S. Eliot Prize for Poetry Mm -hmm. and all of this. Um, But he's still very young. um, But the way that he, he just is very kind of, his voice is cutting, it's so sharp. Um, but it's also so beautiful and the way he weaves language is really, really inspiring to me. I really like this record that recently came out by this artist called Dijon, um, which weaves kind of folk music, but also funk, but also trip hop. Um, and he put out these live videos, which are so kind of raw. He's basically in his living room, like playing with his best friends. And there's so much kind of passion and electricity there. Um, and I'm really excited to see what 
what he comes up with next. Well, I think that is a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today on our Disruptors podcast. And thank you so much for your time in the middle of your tour. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye. The Disruptors was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Netaporte's content director, Alice Casely Hayford, and fashion director, Kay Barron, produced by Rosie Stofer. The team at Netaporte was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabel Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The senior producer at Chalk and Blade was Laura Hyde, and the executive producer was Ruth Barnes. Original music and mixes were by Alexis Adimora. Enter the code DISRUPTORS at the checkout for 10% off your first Net-A-Porter order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. To make sure you hear all the episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to netaporte.com. <laughs>